Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Cape Town, a superhero podcast about superhero things. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Chris Youngblood. I'm Hannah Mazel. And I'm Ryan Ham. And this week we're talking about Spider-Man, the amazing Spider-Man. We uh, just finished recording an episode about Avengers Infinity War, uh, giving some of our spoilery and not spoilery takes on that. If you want to listen to how we feel about Avengers Infinity War, you can head over to our Apple Podcast episode page and give that a listen. This episode is going to be, we're not going to get into any movie spoilers here, but we will be talking about Spider-Man. But as usual, we'll start off with a little bit of superhero news. I feel like the news docket is pretty empty this week because Infinity War, I think, is kind of like like cannonballed into the middle of the newsroom and there's everybody else decided to clear the way for it. Do you guys have anything else to talk about? I feel. I think Avengers is having a good week financially. <laughs> yeah, I read that like Disney's already at a billion dollars for the year. Which, oh like, my gosh! It's just like uh, you know, it, like when I was watching the credits for Infinity War and saw the like sound mastered at Skywalker Studios, it's like man, they like they should just have their own mint at this point on the Disney property. <laughs> it's like a monopoly. That's where I start to get a little bit like I like these movies. I want to support them. I want them to make more of them. But then I hear the words like a billion dollars, and yeah. I'm like man, we are really all just feeding the machine here. See, the problem is, is I hear the words a billion dollars, and then someone's like, yeah, but Wolverine could be in the next Avengers, and I'm like, all right, fair enough. Oh. And I'm all, I'm all in. Like, and then I'm like, no more in it. Like, like just, just sign it, make it happen. Yeah. It's, it's like I feel a little bit embarrassed about how much my principles go out the window over these movies, <laughs> but they do. I, we just have to embrace that. And then I guess one thing that did happen is we got a new Venom trailer, which did confirm that Venom will be in the movie. That barely counts as news, but that's that's <laughs> if you if anybody has any hot takes, <laughs> we did actually see the suit. Like we did actually yeah. sim, see the. That's true symbiote poor jenny slate oh man symbiote what'd you call it a symbiote yeah symbiote which yeah. like it sounds insane to me but uh <laughs> that's not so, yeah. how, it's that's a real word it's not like a comic book word symbiotes right. are a th- yeah i don't know someone someone coached her through it and that's where <laughs> they ended up so yeah that's i mean we're stuck with that for at least 90 minutes to two hours yeah. um and with a tongue that looks like a gooey duck. I don't know. I'm still like, there was like our movie when we saw Avengers Infinity War, it opened with the Deadpool 2 trailer, which is really good. I, I liked it a lot and it got me kind of excited about the movie in a way that I hadn't been. And then the Venom trailer played and man, you just felt the wind go out of the auditorium. <laughs> I will say my wife, who had not seen the trailer, uh, turned to me and said, that looks really good. I'm excited for that now. And oh. so then I felt like a jerk. And she was like, I can feel you judging me. So then I had to, <laughs> I had to frantically backpedal and assure her I was not. The whole time that the, the Venom trailer was playing, I just kept ho- like wishing that I could just see like a minute and 10 seconds of Rob Delaney like falling through the sky with a <laughs> oh, <laughs> put that on my screensaver. Oh, I, like, so I was like more or less on board with the Deadpool 2 movie. I, I'm not quite as into that franchise as everybody else seems to be. But as soon as Rob Delaney showed up and his, have you guys started following his uh, Twitter account? His oh, it's Twitter incredible. Yeah. Specific Twitter account. Rob Delaney is a very funny Twitter comedian. He's also the star of Catastrophe, which is a very good Amazon Prime show that that I like a lot. His personal tweets are funny, but he's started a Twitter account as Peter from Deadpool 2. And it's a riot. 
And if the only thing we get out of this stupid movie is Rob Delaney's alias Peter, a non-superpowered person who joins X-Force with Deadpool, then it was all worth it for me. I can't wait to see what he does with this. In other comic book movie news, uh, Patty Jenkins came out this week and confirmed that the next Wonder Woman movie will actually take place in the 80s. Oh. Um, yeah, so just a nice little update there on like what's coming. Like it kind of like it makes like thinking about Kristen Wiig as Cheetah yeah. in the 80s like makes way more sense than like That's putting true. her in present day. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that they could actually have a lot of fun with it. The only thing I hope is that they don't have those dumb like bookends set in modern times. Seriously, Bruce Wayne signed stuff. Just like (laughs) retcon Bruce Wayne out of the universe. Easily the worst part of the Wonder Woman movie was the bookend with Bruce Wayne. Didn't completely unnecessary. You could have cut him out and had the same a better movie. It's interesting that we're getting both Wonder Woman two, which is going to be in the eighties, and Captain Marvel next year, which is evidently going to be set in the nineties. It's a great era for superhero period pieces starring women. That's the march of progress. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be good. It will play out. I think it'll play out on a lot of like this, like the target demos, like for sure, like our nostalgia factor of that. So I'm, I'm curious, like what a lot of the callbacks will be uh, when we, when we do it. One other thing that got announced this week is that Marvel is actively looking for a director for the Black Widow uh, solo yeah. movie. Yeah, which is going um, to take place in the 60s or something. Yeah, which sounds super cool. I'm hoping that, um, like, I would really love to see basically just like a Mission Impossible movie with uh, yeah. Black Widow. I think that would be like, that could be really great. It's Wait, the rumor is the movie is going to take place in the 60s? That was a joke. It was, I was kidding. I was riffing off oh. of our time <laughs> Female, uh, <laughs> oh, I thought you were being serious. No. Yeah, yeah. It'll star no, that, Scarlett that, that, Johansson that. as negative Ooh. 40 years old. Yeah. <laughs> well, there there is a rumor, though, that, or that you said that it might be a prequel. I believe the rumor is that it is going to be a prequel slash origin story. I don't know if that means they'll have Scott. I would assume they'll bring Scarlett Johansson <laughs> back for it. <laughs> I do wonder if, like, I thought another possibility of where they could put it or where they could slate it is, like, at the end of Winter Soldier. Um, yeah. remember all that stuff about her gets released and like they just never talk about it again. Um, yeah, so I wonder if we'll ever get some answers about that. That would be interesting. I think she's come out and said that she would like to see it be a piece on like expanding on her line in Civil War where she, uh, Winter Soldier has her in the chokehold and says like, do you not even remember me or something along those lines? Or not Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. Civil War. Um, and she, so she wants it to like expand on that a bit. So it'd be, yeah, it, they definitely can like take it a few different ways in the comics the interactions between uh bucky barnes and the black widow have always been really interesting and they have a romance which i feel like the tumblr kids would love a bucky barnes yeah. black widow romance <laughs> Sounds oh, yeah. like a born to ship so yeah I, i'm excited for a black widow movie I, it's a little embarrassing that it's taken this long to get us maybe looking for possibly doing one, but that the, the announcement is only semi-official at this point, but I think it'd be very stupid of them to not do a black widow solo movie. And it sounds like they are. So that's very exciting. And unless there's anything else, we will move into talking about the amazing Spider-Man Spider-Man for a long time was Marvel's most recognizable hero. He probably still is Marvel's most recognizable hero, uh, but he's kind of gone up. He's had a lot of ups and downs. He out of the gates from the sixties, some of his creation, he was the face of Marvel for a long time. Then in the nineties, when the X-Men were at the peak of their popularity, Marvel was really all about the X-Men and and Spider-Man 
and certainly the Avengers took sort of a backseat. But with the first, the, the movies in the early 2000s with Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man came back to the forefront. And then it's been kind of an interesting up and down road over the past few years with Spider-Man's quality, both in the comics and in the movies. Why do you attribute Spider-Man's like, longevity to, of all of Marvel's heroes, why do you think he's the most popular? Why is he, in a lot of ways, probably like the heart and soul of Marvel Comics? Just to clarify, we're talking about Peter Parker specifically. We're right? talking about Peter Parker specifically. There are at least two Spider Men, probably more like five to, to five hundred, depending on which uh, line you're reading. But Peter, we're talking about Peter. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think Peter Parker being the introduction for a lot of young readers has to do with it. Like for a lot of his history, he has been this, uh, you know, this young kid, high school student that gets these powers and he has to figure out what to do with them and like how to actually like how to actually hold his own, like one against like villains who are all like usually like, you know, older, like 30, 40, 50 year old white dudes who just like have these like incredible powers. And he's just this kid who is just, like feels the need that like he needs to stand up for uh, people who can't defend themselves. And I think like we got a really good like look at that line. Like he has his classic like with great power comes great responsibility line. But you know, like I think that like to bring it to a more recent uh, look at it, like Tom Holland in Civil War, uh, you know, he talks about that. And I, I think it like gives a really good look into just like this kid who gets superpowers and he wants to like he wants to balance like what he can do with that along with like just trying to grow up um and i think that like there's a little bit of escapism in that for a lot of people who like one read comics but like this being like an introduction for a lot of young readers like you can kind of get lost in the fantasy of like what would i do if like this actually happened to me and i think that that's like what grabs a lot of people like early on and then like i think just like his general like character arc i know like my first exposure to him was the 90s cartoon which i absolutely like you know i i loved i lived for those saturday morning x-men spider-man uh shows and so yeah i think that like there's just like there's a lot of nostalgia factor built into like even like why he like you know has remained one of my favorite uh heroes to this day yeah i think having i mean i think having a kid be an introduction to kind of the like the world of marvel is probably where it started like i mean i you know as much as we all love marvel comics in general like they're definitely a little dense to get into so it's kind of nice to have an entry point that feels a little bit more familiar like someone who's sort of in awe of everything going on around him and kind of amazed that he gets to hang out with the avengers and stuff like that i mean it is like in my opinion pretty tough to just like pick up a spider-man comic and figure out what's going on um unless you have an idea of like where which arc to start with but you know that's what chris is here for (laughs) (laughs) well i mean like when i when i started reading comic books again like i really like had to figure that out of like where i like wanted to start off and uh john strasinski's uh run was like my go-to um to where i started and then like i read all the way up from and i i can't i can't remember I, i believe that's like around issue 500 next month they hit issue 800 which is an unbelievable feat but like to like to even think about that like oh i've read 300 issues of amazing spider-man at this point at least like it is incredibly dense like there are points where i'm just like okay like is this like really gonna go anywhere and i've read i feel like i've like experienced so much of the character at this point that it's like 
like what are the finalities to um, some of those storylines that just like, I don't know, that have lived for like have truly lived like since his creation. What you're getting at there, Chris, is the storyline. Uh, like you said, the great power and great responsibility it has become really key to the whole Spider-Man myth. And every story, every Spider-Man story in some way comes back to this idea that Spider-Man feels a tremendous amount of guilt for what happened to uh, Uncle Ben. And he feel he knows he could have stopped it. And so he is driven by this compulsion that he can't let that ever happen again. He, he can't let there be any other Uncle Ben's in the world. He doesn't want any other kids growing up without a, a father figure in their life when he knows he could have done something potentially to stop it. It's a powerful motivating factor. And I think that people have, a lot of comic book writers have taken it in really interesting directions. And it also has a little bit of that, um, he, Spider-Man, I feel like is both an aspirational figure for a lot of young, uh, for a lot of young people because who what like young sort of undiscovered nerd wouldn't like to also have incredible powers and nobody knew about it. And it was a secret. Like that would be really cool, but he's also extremely relatable because he, he is a nerd and he's not very good with, with romance. And he has, uh, and the best comics usually is like has money issues. His, his uh, aunt is financially worried. It encapsulates both side of the big appeal to superheroes uh, in terms of both having power and being a very relatable character. That's sort of the, I, I feel like that's at least the teen boy take. Hannah, how do you, like, do you feel like there is a, an element of Spider-Man? I feel like sometimes the Spider-Man thing can get a little bit like uh, nerdy bro uh, because <laughs> it, because it's so like, there's so much of uh, so many young men want to be like, if you like, oh, I wish girls could see me because then it's my secret life. I am kind of like Spider-Man. I'm kind of a low-level superhero when nobody else is around. Well, I think, you know, since Spider-Man's come out, we've seen like a lot of other like, you know, young female superheroes. You know, we have Miss Marvel and a few others. So I, I, I think considering that Spider-Man has been around for a long time, like I don't think that that's a, a fair critique to have over it. Um, I, I like Chris. I, I started watching the animated series a long time ago. Well, well before I would ever pick up a comic book. I think one of the things though, that makes Spider-Man such just an entertaining character, enjoyable to read for any age really is like his innocence, which I feel is pretty unique to Peter Parker. And I feel like they really captured that so well in Tom Holland's uh, Peter Parker in Spider-Man homecoming. Um, he just did such a great job, which I just don't think they did as good of a job with that with Sam Raimi's um, Spider-Man. It was, it, which were great movies, but I, I love, um, I think Tom Holland did such a good job of exploring that side of Peter Parker, especially now that, you know, more recent comics have shown Peter as, you know, just kind of a, a nerdy high school student, which I, I, I like that storyline a little bit better than, you know, recent, recent college grad, Peter Parker, uh, like just being a fumbling idiot. So. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, well, that gets into like a lot of the directions they've taken Spider-Man over the past few years. And we will get into that right after we delve into a little bit of history as part of our scripted segment. In 1964, a young woman in Queens was returning to her apartment in the early hours of March, having worked late at her job. She was in her 20s and pretty, with closely cropped hair and expressive eyes. As she walked towards her apartment building, she saw a man approaching her. She got nervous and started walking faster. He chased her, overtook her, and stabbed her twice in the back. 
Reports vary on what exactly happened next, but what is certain is that the woman shouted, oh my God, he stabbed me, help me. In response, a man in the apartment shouted at her attacker to, quote, let that woman alone. Her attacker fled, and the woman, seriously wounded, dragged herself towards her building, but the door was locked and she was too weak to go any further. The attacker, a man named Winston Mosley, returned about 10 minutes later, stabbed the woman a few more times, took $49 out of her purse, and fled again. As the woman lay next to her locked door, a 70-year-old resident of the building finally exited and cradled her in her arms until the ambulance arrived. But it was too late. Kitty Genovese died on the way to the hospital. The New York Times initially wrote that between 37 and 38 people heard Kitty's cries for help and did nothing. This number would later be contested, and just last year, the Times stated that only about a dozen people actually witnessed parts of the incident. A documentary about the case has dropped just last year. Regardless, Kitty's death gave birth to what is today known as Genevieve's Syndrome, It's what happens when multiple bystanders observe that something needs to happen, but nobody gets involved. It's somebody else's problem. Mind your own business. Let the police handle it. It's not your responsibility. Two years before Kitty's death, a young man in Queens stood by while a crook ran by, with the police chasing him. What's the matter with you, mister? accused a police officer after the thief escaped. All you had to do was trip him or hold him for just a minute. Sorry, pal, the teenager retorted. That's your job. I'm through being pushed around by anyone. From now on, I just look out for number one. This all took place in an issue of Amazing Fantasy 15, the final issue of a doomed line of romance comics. The young man who stood by was 15-year-old Peter Parker, whose radioactive spider bite had given him an array of spider powers, and the thief who got away would, of course, go on to murder Parker's beloved uncle and surrogate father figure, Ben Parker. The ways in which Peter Parker represented a tectonic shift in pop culture are almost too many to mention, but one big one is just this moment. Him realizing that the first thief he managed to track down and stop as Spider-Man was the criminal he had let escape. My fault, he weeps on the final page of the comic. All my fault. If only I had stopped him when I could have. And in the final panel, as Spider-Man slowly walks off into a moonlit evening, the caption reads that Peter, quote, is aware at last that in this world with great power, there must also come great responsibility. Before this, teenagers had appeared in superhero comics, but they had been like Robin and Superboy, sidekicks to the real hero, punching bad guys in one panel and getting a lecture about the importance of school in the next. From the very beginning, it was clear that Peter Parker was going to be something different. By allowing him to operate on his own, in secret from his doting Aunt May, Peter's problems and upheavals felt immensely relatable to his multitudes of teenage fans. Like them, he was going through things that he truly felt nobody else could understand. Like them, he was discovering strange new things about himself that he couldn't fully hide but couldn't fully share with anyone either. And most importantly, from 1962 on to today, Spider-Man set a new blueprint for a superhero, not faster than a speeding bullet, not vengeance in the night. He was just a kid who could no longer let the cries for help in the street be somebody else's problem. There's a lot of bad blood around who came up with the idea of Spider-Man. Stan Lee has always maintained that the character was basically his idea, and an artist named Steve Ditko just sketched out a costume, a minimalistic onesie. Ditko figured a teenager would lack the resources for much more, 
and large buggy eyes, giving him both an air of mystery and an appealing cartoonishness. Ditko maintained that Spider-Man was mostly his own idea, a reworking of an old idea he'd had years ago for a character called the Silver Spider. In fact, if you send Ditko $40 in the mail today, you can get a hand-typed manifesto explaining that Lee came up with the name Spider-Man and Ditko himself came up with literally everything else. Further complicating matters, legendary Marvel artist Jack Kirby has also claimed responsibility for the character. So how Spider-Man came to be is a story now too convoluted to ever really sort out. But the character's popularity? That's an easy one. The story was intended to be a one-time tale, but by the end of the year, that issue of Amazing Fantasy 15 was a top seller. Stan Lee and Steve Ditko relaunched Amazing Fantasy as the Amazing Spider-Man, and the rest is history. Throughout their run and in Spider-Man's best iterations ever since, what's most striking about Spider-Man is how unheroic he is. Before him, most superheroes were too busy saving the world and stopping the bad guys to ever really worry about anything else. Spider-Man worried about everything. He was worried about money. He was worried about grades. He was worried about his aunt. He was, and this is key, worried about girls. Before Peter Parker, superheroes didn't need to worry about girls. On the contrary, every woman they encountered faded right into their arms. The whole idea of superheroes as escapism was that these men, and they were almost always men, were living dream lives, handsome, gainfully employed dreamboats by day, dashing, infallibly victorious crusaders by night. But Spider-Man wasn't particularly handsome and was only technically employed as a photographer by day. And by night, well, he did whatever a spider could. It was a different kind of escapism because for Spider-Man, it didn't look much like escapism at all. He was going through the same adolescent turbulence his readers were, and his writers took his issues seriously. The very fact that they named him Spider-Man instead of Spider-Kid or Spider-Boy showed they weren't interested in giving him less responsibility because of his age. If anything, his age made the responsibility all the more complicated. He won some, he lost some, but he never gave up his almost obsessive sense of duty. Even when it cost him his job or a date or a test or the trust of his aunt, Spider-Man still clung to the idea that the spider bite had put New York City under his protection and that his powers came at a cost. And perhaps more than any other superhero, Spider-Man's cost has been huge. He was too young to fully understand the cost when he started, and he's gone too far to turn back now. If he had known what being Spider-Man would have ended up doing to his life, it's an open question as to whether or not he would have gone through with it. That's probably the case with all great things. If we'd known how hard it was, we wouldn't have done it. But if it weren't for Spider-Man, there'd be a lot of people who would have never gotten rescued. While most superheroes seem perpetually stuck in their mid-30s, Spider-Man has grown up in the years since his creation. Over time, he's lost friends, including his first true love, Gwen Stacy, a decision that got Marvel death threats at the time, gotten married, joined the Avengers, and even started a new company as a scientist and researcher. In that time, the mantle of Spider-Man has even been taken on by a new teenager, a half-black, half-Hispanic teenager named Miles Morales, who finds himself gifted with the same spider powers as Spider-Man. Through Miles, Marvel has been able to explore anew the tensions between power and responsibility felt by teenagers who aren't yet old enough to fully grapple with either. And in the midst of this, Spider-Man has become the face of Marvel Comics, its most recognizable figure. Wolverine may be cooler, Thor may be more handsome, and Captain America may be the one everyone looks to for marching orders, but Spider-Man is the truest iteration of what it means to be a Marvel superhero. Not always super, not even always heroic, but always amazing. 
So Hannah, like you were referring to earlier, there's sort of, I feel like there's sort of three eras of Peter Parker. There's the initial one that we're seeing with uh, in the movies with Tom Holland right now of the young fumbling high schooler. There's the college era Peter Parker uh, from the 70s that was uh, written by John Romita Sr. in which he's a little more of a dreamboat. Like he kind of comes into his own and he has to balance his superhero life with like a love triangle with Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy. And, um, and now there's the current era of the comics in which he uh, has kind of become another Tony Stark. He owns his own company. He's a scientist. He's pretty successful and he's sort of a globe trotting superhero. Hannah, you said you like the high school Peter Parker best because of the innocence of it. I mean, they're all enjoyable characters, I guess, you know, in terms of where he is in his life. But I, I personally, I like his innocence. It's, it's, it's pretty unique. And also that he's not just, you know, he's, he's just a kid trying to find his place in the, the sea of awkward teens, um, <laughs> which we can all relate to. At least I can. I would agree with you. Like high school, like when I think of like, you must read this to like really like get a good grasp on like Peter Parker. It's uh, Brian Michael Bendis's ultimate uh, ultimate Spider-Man run. Like that is easily one of my favorite uh, favorite comic book runs, especially of this character, um, because it does it gives you like it gives you a look into like this high school kid who's like just like figuring out what to do. But it also like it's a good it's a good character of. Um, Brian Michael Bendis writes these teenage scenes that like feel relatable. Like you're like, Oh crap. Like I've had to deal with like first kiss and like all this other stuff. And so it's just, it's it like ends up being a fun look into like this teenager with superheroes and like going through like all these just teenager things, like teenager life things that like any one of us have actually experienced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think also like having a character, you know, kind of depend upon a parent figure in his case, Aunt May, and, and Uncle Ben before, like, just is something you don't really see too often in comics either. Like, most of them are pretty detached from their, you know, from their family. That's a good point. I think that Aunt May is a really interesting character who's sometimes sort of uh, poorly served in discussions about it because she's been a constant part of Peter's life. She's been definitely the most consistent woman in Peter Parker's life. And there's been moments where she knew who Spider-Man was, that, that Peter Parker was Spider-Man, moments where she didn't. I was interested to see, this is not a, a significant spoiler for Infinity War, but they did not deal at all with any of the fallout of the end of Homecoming in which she walked in on Peter Parker in his Spider-Man costume. There wasn't really a time to get into that, but I do wonder if that's going to be explored further in upcoming Spider-Man movies. We don't know what Spider-Man 2 is going to be called yet. Spider-Man prom. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think regardless of, you know, what sort of era he's in, I also think that, uh, and, and I, I should say up front, like I haven't read a ton of uh, Spider-Man standalone comics just because like I mentioned earlier, they're like really hard to get into a lot of times. But like one of the things I really like is that he is a good entry point and kind of an analog to sort of like a normal person um, in some of these like massive crossover events. So, you know, where you have people who are literally and figuratively gods sort of stock, like talk, um, you know, walking around and making plans and stuff like that. He's sort of the, the person who is always ready with a joke because he feels like completely out of place, which is very relatable to me. So I really like that Marvel has a character like that to offer. I think it's interesting to have any character who 
you know, seems like it clearly is using humor as a deflection uh, because his personal life is sort of always a mess. <laughs> you know, even if he's like pretty happy, um, you know, it's still like, I, you know, I think Spider-Man Blue, which I read most of, like kind of explores his, you know, his grappling with the death of Gwen Stacy throughout his entire life and sort of the like the ways that that's marked him. And then just, you know, I, I also think that Spider-Man is really great for the exploration of, you know, like the fear of what happens to like your family if you're taking risks that they might have to pay for. And like Kano said, I think, you know, it's really interesting that Peter is one of the few people that we see kind of have a continuous relationship and a close relationship with both his family as well as usually with Mary Jane. And it's, you know, I think having a character where they're kind of weighing the risks of what happens to the people I care about if I'm caught um, really lends a lot of, uh, lends a lot of gravity to some of the situations he's in and some of the decisions he makes. And I think that's something that the Tom Holland movies have explored particularly well is the level of fear, not just from that Spider-Man feels about his family and his aunt may, but also his, the other high schoolers, the people in his life who, who get pulled into what he's doing. And, uh, the way that they explored that one of the best moments I've seen in any superhero movie was the reveal at the end of homecoming when Michael Keaton answers the door, when he goes up and knocks on uh, Liz's front door. And I think that that the inability of Peter to ever really separate his personal life from his superhero life is one of the most interesting things about him. And, and that's why I think I prefer the high school Peter to the other Peters because there's just more connections there. There's just more things that can go wrong for a high schooler than there are for a successful businessman, which is why Peter is more interesting to me than somebody like Tony Stark. Although I do appreciate that the comic book writers have let Peter sort of grow up over time and that he's not just stuck permanently in high school, like some sort of superhero, Tim Riggins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great line. Good work. Where do you think that the, speaking of the Tom Holland movies, are you all of the mind that the Tom Holland movies are the best iteration of the Spider-Man movies more so than Sam Raimi's or Andrew Garfield's? We love Andrew Garfield here. We're fans of him. But yes, absolutely. hundred percent Tom Holland. Like yeah. Tom Holland's been, just absolutely doing something incredible with this role. And I'm excited. Like, I, I really am excited to see like where he, like where they actually take his character. Like in some ways I wish that, um, and I think I've talked about this before, but I wish that they'd be able to start looping in some of the street level heroes that they have on Netflix into the Spider-Man movies. Cause I feel like some of the most effective comics are when he's like, particularly like when he's contrasted with uh, Punisher, um, cause they're both sort of like roaming the streets of New York and Punisher is this like very, very dark, uh, violent, you know, anti-hero and Parker is just this like, you know, kind of shiny do-gooder and having that contrast, I think is really interesting. So I, like, I hope they could eventually do that, but yeah, I totally agree. Like Tom Holland's Tom Holland's Spider-Man's are the best. I like, I really love Sam Raimi's Spider-Man two in particular. Yeah, it's a really good movie. Yeah, Spider-Man 3 is very bad. It's very uh, it's weirdly bad. Yeah. <laughs> and Amazing Spider-Man, I didn't really like either of them. Um the first one was okay. Uh and the second one was very bad. So yeah. I yeah, I think like I don't want to damn uh Tom Holland Spider-Man with fate praise because <laughs> like, you know, he's not going up against a lot of competition, but I also think like he like Spider-Man Homecoming is like maybe my first or second or like in my top three of Marvel movies so far, um, which is saying a lot. Yeah. For a character you don't really historically haven't cared for that. It, I feel like that is 
huge praise. Hannah, how about you? I know you love Andrew Garfield. Oh, God. I, I, hated, <laughs> I hated The Amazing Spider-Man. I never even bothered seeing uh, the sequel. I, what was it even called? I don't know. I'm just Amazing Spider-Man 2. Amazing Spider-Man 2. That's oh, it. okay. <laughs> well, probably the title was as forgettable as the movie. And, um, <laughs> no, I, I, I mentioned to these guys before, but like in, in The Amazing Spider-Man, like I just remember this one scene where he's just skateboarding in like a, like a, like a warehouse <laughs> and there's like Coldplay on. And it's just like... This isn't Spider Man. What is this garbage? I, I don't. I just found the whole thing to be. It was trying to be way too cool. Andrew Garfield is way too attractive to be Peter Parker. Like, there's no way you could possibly believe that this guy could be an you know an outsider or not fit in. Like Andrew Garfield just is not that. Is not that guy. Tom, if you're listening, you are extremely <laughs> handsome as well. <laughs> no, no, I, I clear that up. He's adorable. Um, it's just <laughs> oh my gosh, Tom, <laughs> every, Tom, don't listen. Hey, every don't like, listen to our Tom. Yeah, every twenty, every young twenty-year-old man uh, wants to be said that they're adorable. Well, he is, but that, but like, <laughs> listen, as Peter Parker, he fits that role perfectly because you can believe him as being like not having figured it all out like he's like he he he, mul- he blends into that role at, where like i had a hard time ever believing andrew garfield could pull that off and he didn't um <laughs> and, and and toby and and toby mcguire definitely did too obviously like he i don't know how old toby mcguire was when he when he filmed those movies he had to be in his like late 20s i would think mid late 20s I mean, that was squarely, that was like squarely in the era of like OC dramas where it's like, oh, these are high schoolers, but they're all 28. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was a, it was a common thing to do back then. So, you know, but, and, and I love the movies, like, right, Spider-Man 2, it was, it was phenomenal. Uh, they, that was a great movie. And the first one was too, I love, I love watching them, but there's just something about Tom Holland being able to really become Peter Parker and believing him as this young nerdy kid living with his aunt, you know, and, and not being real cool. And um, I think he pulls that off perfectly. And he is adorable. <laughs> and one thing that these uh, that the new Spider-Man movies do really well that the other movies just couldn't, just did, like legally couldn't, was explore what Spider-Man's like when compared to other superheroes. Because what makes him such a unique hero and such a, a special hero to a lot of people is how unheroic he is compared to people like Captain America and Iron Man. From his origin story on, even in his very first comic where he doesn't act very heroically throughout any of it, up to even in Infinity War, he gets these moments of of being very, very vulnerable and very authentic and really believable. He he is much closer to what I feel like somebody like us would be like if we got spider powers and decided to try to do good things, but weren't particularly good at it, but believed in ourselves enough to keep going out there and, and trying again and again, no matter how many times we failed. And, uh, and that's an important thing. I'm really glad that that archetype exists in American pop culture for people because not all of us are going to be Captain America. Uh, not many of us are going to be Captain America, but the people who can provide an example of people who try to do the right things, even though there's not a lot of reward or glory in it for them, and even if they don't look particularly good doing it, it's special. And it's not a given that that's going to be there for nerdy kids like uh, who, are, who feel like Peter Parker. So I'm glad it exists. And I think, I mean, I think that's important too to say, like, obviously we're talking specifically about Peter Parker, but I think that's also what made Miles Morales such a good character too, is that, you know, Peter Parker 
allows nerdy kids to see themselves uh, as a hero and, you know, think about what they do. And then Miles Morales allows like black nerdy kids to see what they would do um, as a superhero. And I think like that's maybe maybe that's the reason that there's a lot of staying power is that, you know, Peter Parker is less aspirational than some of the other heroes. Uh, like you said, you can kind of see yourself in him. And I think it's cool that different people have been able to don the mask to communicate that feeling of connection um, across different lines. So maybe that is what's given him his staying power over all the years. I'm looking forward because there is going to be Spider-Man uh, into the intro to Spider-Verse or whatever it's called. It's got a, it's, the title is not good, but the art for the trailer of the upcoming Ultimate Spider-Man Miles Morales movie looks very, very cool. And I'll be intrigued to see where they go with that one. And who's, who do they have playing? It's Lord, Lord and Miller directing. Yeah, it. that's right there. Is exciting. Yeah, which is great. Like they did the Lego movie, they did tw- Twenty One Jump Street, um, which I will fight you if you don't like. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, I think. I mean, I think it's going to be. I think it could be really cool. Oh, did you see that they? We should have brought this up in news, but did you see that they cast Jake Johnson as Peter Parker in that one? Oh, I'm so happy! <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> That's a weird fit, but I'm on board with it. But That's I'm perfect. but I'm here for it. Um, any last Spider-Man thoughts before we sign off? I am curious, like where you guys think the movies will go. That's a good question. So, like, I think, like, Marvel Universe as a whole, after uh, next year's Avengers, will enter into Dark Reign. So, really? yes, that is, like, that is my, like, I'm sticking to it right now. Like, Dark that Rain. is what. Interesting. Yeah, I think. I like, hope to get Willem Dafoe back as Norman. Still works. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be, that would be fun. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I really do think that they could. I, I really do think that they'll enter into because they've talked so much about it being di- more different than anything they've done before and keeping it more grounded. Uh, so I think that like we're going to start seeing seeds of dark rain like really kind of take over. Um, I even have this vision of like uh, the opening credit scroll, like um, instead of like it being like all the heroes like starting to be villains. Um, in the Marvel Studios uh, logo. So, uh, so yeah, I think that's, that's kind of where I see it going. And so like, I have no idea like where Spider-Man fits in that. Um, but if Norman Osborn is like the key figure in that, like he would obviously be uh, playing a huge role. We did get confirmation that the next Spider-Man movie is going to be filming at least a little bit in London. And that's as much as we know right now. So that's where I think it's going to go. England. Across the pond. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's where they're going to go. They, they're, I did see news that Matt Damon had turned down a villain role in the Spider-Man sequel. We don't know what that villain role is. And I, you could, we could make a lot of guesses about which villain. Spider-Man has a lot of them. Matt Damon would be best for. I think there's a lot of talk about Mysterio, potentially. Mysterio, who is a, sort of a, a magician character who Spider-Man faces off with a lot. Uh, Craven the Hunter also is a possibility, who's this big game hunter who becomes obsessed with trying to kill Spider-Man as part of his mission to mount a bunch of heads on his wall, I guess. I like the idea of Dark Rain, Chris. I hadn't thought about that, but I like that. I At this point, though, I feel like I'm Marvel has more than proved itself to me, and I'm I'm just pretty much excited to see what's next, especially after Infinity War. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's kind of the you know that's kind of the unknown thing is what Infinity War, both this one and the next one, will do to the Marvel universe in general. Um, so I feel like it's like it's hard to predict where any of the movies are going to go at this point, except you know the ones that are set in the past, um, without knowing what happens in uh, in the next Avengers movie, and if you haven't seen this one, in this one. Hannah, any guesses? 
I have no clue. I, I the dark rain thing. I would never would have thought of that, but it could there could be a direction they take it. Um, so I, I know that. So Captain Marvel is going to be in the nineties. I guess the one movie I'm wondering about is Ant Man and Wasp. Like, when is that supposed to take place? I haven't. Is that supposed to be like right after a uh, civil war? Apparently, right after yeah, right after between Infinity War and Civil War. Which like uh, maybe that explains why he's getting arrested by the FBI. Yeah. Is that he's not supposed to be a hero anymore? Yeah, I'm, I have no idea. I don't know. And I wonder if, and I guess this is a minor spoiler. So if you haven't seen Infinity War yet, I'm sorry. Um, but I wonder if we'll see Hawkeye with Ant, like in the Ant Man movie because they are apparently it's it's a very minor spoiler for Infinity War, but they are, as you might have guessed from the posters, not in Infinity War. Um, so maybe they're hanging out together. <laughs> The Avengers designated survivors, just in case everything else goes wrong. We got Ant-Man and Hawkeye to pull the universe back together. That should go fine. um well i think with that we'll wrap it up thanks for listening to uh to this episode and uh and if you like what you're hearing please feel free to head over to our apple podcast page and give us a positive review if you don't like what you're hearing keep it to yourself you can reach out to us on twitter at cape town pod or you can head over to facebook and find us there cape town pod as well we want to make sure we say thank you to cm studios chad and jesse make sure we sound good over there and uh, as always i want to give a periodic shout out to our friend justin Mizell. We've never met him, but he sure seems like a nice guy. And he's the one who does all the artwork that you see for us on the podcast. So thanks a lot to Justin. I hear he's easy on the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. I, didn't. I can assure you he is not. <laughs> and we'll see you all in a couple of weeks. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Chris Youngblood. I'm Hannah Mizell. And I'm Ryan Ham. And we'll see you next time. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>